passionate about is expanding our view of missions. Because of my conviction that a church that's not missional where we are don't really qualify to be missional where we are not. 
And one of the things I'm excited about is a ministry that has been going on for many years that has built a bridge from where we are to where our neighbors in McPherson live. And so I, I would love for... Patsy, are you in the room? Oh, there you are. Come and share with us, Patsy, a little bit about our tuition ministry. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Patsy. I'm here to share on the GBC tuition ministry. Tuition ministry did not get demolished with the church building. At the end of 2015, we prayerfully explored alternative venues to hold tuition classes. One teacher in particular held a strong conviction that we must keep tuition running. Tuition ministry is a door to our church. If the door is not open, how will people walk into our church? By God's providence and leading, we managed to keep this door open. Through the help of two McPherson Residence Committee members, one of my neighbor at Balam Road, and the other a fellow GBC member, God opened up some RC premises for us to use. At the void deck of Block 31 Balam Road, the corner unit that is circled on the slide, and we had it free of charge. So since January 2016, we have been running our tuition classes there every Wednesday evening, 7.30 to 9 p.m. And inside that door, this is what it looks like. Three groups here, one group, and two groups here. We started there with seven assisting students. We did not do any publicity, as we had too few teachers. But because of our visible presence right in the neighborhood, people saw us and some came forward towards us to make inquiries. From then till now, we have taken in four new students. God has also graciously provided two new teachers. What exactly is the purpose of the tuition ministry? It is really for outreach, to meet community needs. We help children in their studies who may not be able to pay for private tuition. Through this, we seek to build bridges to Christ. What are some of our challenges? Teachers, we have very few teachers, and there are not many who are able or willing to teach secondary school subjects. Because of this, we have had to turn away some people who have come to request for tuition. We also need patience and wisdom in teaching, because our students are mostly weak academically. Plus, and we come to the second challenge, students. Right now, we have several students with learning difficulties or special needs. Among the 10 students we have, dyslexic, suspected dyslexic, suspected ADHD, autistic, and anxiety disorder. Teaching them is very challenging indeed. However, it is also these challenges that enable us to build bridges with their respective parents and even schools. In some cases, the parents are unaware of their children's condition. We have to inform them and explain to them based on our observations. Then, we have to accompany them to meet the school teachers, to present their cases, and seek help from the schools. In all this, we experience God opening the way and giving us wisdom, 
step by step. Through interactions with the parents, we have come to discover many other needs that they have. For example, we have a dyslexic boy who has a twin sister. They have no parental supervision at home in the day, as both parents are out at work. They spend their afternoons doing whatever they like. The boy frequently goes to a friend's house for online gaming. This is a migrant family. These twins are non-PRs. Their school fees together add up to $1,000 every month. That's a huge financial burden. The mother does not seem much involved in the children's affairs. The father, while he is concerned, probably has no time or energy to properly manage them. Some evening, he is still outside working hard. And he may not even be aware of the dangers of online gaming. Then, from our meetings with the school teachers, we have also discovered many needs the schools have. Mefferson Primary School, just opposite our church, is overwhelmed with many students with special needs. We have a dyslexic girl from this school, already in P5. She cannot even read the word S-I-C-K, sick. We appealed many times to the school to put her up for special assessment by the Ministry of Education. The answer? They have too many other special needs students already on the wait list for this assessment. Their cases are much more severe than these girls. Therefore, she cannot be put on that wait list. Many students in that neighbourhood, like this tuition girl, do not have an English-speaking environment at home and are extremely poor in English. If there are people who will read to them regularly in English, teach them English phonics and grammar, or even run activities to give them good exposure to the English language, that should really be helpful. What can GBC do to help the students and their families in the neighbourhood? Tuition is just one bridge to meet one area of need. Besides this, we can already see many, many other practical needs waiting to be met. And possibly, even more needs beyond this. The tuition bridge needs workers. The other bridges need even more workers. Who are the workers? Where are the workers? Tuition ministry has been ongoing for many years. Has there been any impact on anybody? I used to teach two sisters when they were in primary one and two. Their mother was Mandarin speaking. Each time we invited her to church, she would decline. The two sisters participated in several of our children outreach programs like Vacation Bible School. Now they are already young adults. A few years ago, I bumped into their mom. With great excitement, she shared that she had received Jesus with her two girls and they were now worshipping together in a church nearby. Lysa used to teach math to a naughty boy who was often punished and made to stand outside the classroom. He was poor in his studies and was a school dropped out, a teacher's nightmare. Recently, through Facebook, Lysai connected with him again. Now in his late 20s, he's a university graduate and is giving math tuition himself. Outside of tuition ministry in the mid-80s, we did outreach to kids every Tuesday at a playground at Circuit Road. A boy used to join us there. His English was poor and he was always inferior. Recently, I read about him in the newspaper. 
Now, some 30 years after those playground days, he's passionately serving the Lord in YFC, doing youth outreach himself through football. Did we dream of all these possibilities then? No. God called some to sow and some to reap. His word shall not return to him void without accomplishing the purpose for which he sent it. 34 years ago, GBC had a new building. I was a young Christian living nearby and looking for a church to grow in. One day, the Holy Spirit led me to walk into GBC. Lysai came to GBC in 1984 through an outreach event held in an open field nearby, near to the present Mata Road MRT station. We came, and many others like us staying nearby also came. Bobby, Lydia, Soju. Here in GBC, we became rooted in Christ, grew, and served the Lord. There were doors open to welcome us, bridges to build to connect us. In another few months, GBC will have a new building again. Who is God going to bring in this time? Are you excited? Will you help open the door? and build a bridge. When you do that, you experience the wonderful joy of building bridges to Christ, the joy of working for God and with God, and the joy of seeing the providential hand of God. Thank you. Oh, stay here, Patsy. Stay here, Patsy. <clears throat> In a moment, I want to pray for Patsy and her team. She'll represent her team. Uh, um, I, I want you to hear from this missionary. I'm just taking the pastor hat off for a second. Uh, I, I will tell you, after many years, decades of serving in the mission field where missionaries are not allowed to serve, you need to understand that lost people do not come to Christ because the music is awesome. Our worship service is not a bridge to the gospel. They, 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 they don't come to Christ because they have always wanted to be Christians. They come to Christ because of the bridge. It's the bridge that brings them there. And as we enter into a new building in about a month and a half, trust me, there will not be lost people who will come to grace because, whoa, look at the, the Christians have got a new building. We, we might get some disenfranchised church members from somewhere else who are hoping to go to a nicer facility, but we will not get lost people unless there is a bridge that, that clearly provides the way, a bridge like tuition ministry. I, I was speaking to a seminary prof this week. I spent several hours with him, and, and I wanted to know, how did you, Desmond, so how did you come to grace? It wasn't because of the building, it, it was because of the bridge. There was this man named Lysai who was playing basketball. Desmond knew nothing about Jesus, but he knew he liked basketball. Because of that investment, because one GBCer left the building and built a bridge, there is now a missionary at SBC who is extending our ministry around the nations. I just want to ask you, as we prepare for our offering, um, I know we're going to give our tithes. I know we're going to give... Uh, to the rebuilding effort, but how many of us would give more? more? More than our money. I mean, our reading ability. Can, can you read? Then, then you could be a part of this tuition ministry. Can you do math? 
then you're a magician. That's amazing to me. And you could help these young people who come home every day to an empty flat, who are asleep when their parents come home and leave when their parents are gone. Now let me encourage you, consider investing in some bridges. Consider how God might use you to assist the ministry of our Tushin team. God bless you as we pray. Father God, thank you for the faithfulness of these who every week come and just pour your heart into these young lives who, who are not just tuition teachers, not just English and math teachers, but sometimes even, the, even mother and father. And, and there were times when Patsy was sharing that I felt like everything listed is who I was and am. And I am who I am today because of men and women like this who just loved me as your ambassadors. So I pray that as we prepare to give this offering of our tithes and offerings, that you would bless and multiply these gifts. Give your leadership wisdom to know how to be good stewards of this so that we would not just bless ourselves, but bless our neighbors and the nations who have come to Singapore for opportunity. And Father, it would be just like you while they were seeking opportunity to succeed in education, you gave them opportunity to hear good news. So God, we bless you for this team. Arm them with encouragement. Equip them with perseverance. And those of us who can, give us the good intention to join your work in your harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
children may be dismissed for their children's program. The rest of us, shall we all stand as we present to God our tithes and offerings? remain standing as we read from Romans chapter 10 verses 12 to 15 together. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Oh, my God. 
Thank you so much. It's my joy and privilege to be able to introduce to us Sydney Vitboy. I practiced that before I said it. Uh, Sydney was born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa, which is a spectacularly beautiful city and also home to some of the world's most aggressive panhandlers. Don't take that personally, that's just my experience. <laughs> but I was acting like I was a real tough guy when I was there, survived. We are grateful for this man. Uh, he is, if he was Chinese, he would be 60. Born in 1958. And Andrea, so lovely for you to join Sydney. Uh, Andrea, stand up so they can see you. They'll see Sydney in a bit. This couple were, no, I might have the math wrong, but they were married in 1982, and two years later, they left for the mission field. And they have three daughters that they have blessed the nations with, because there's one, I believe, in Germany, one in the UK, and one in Jordan. So God bless you, and what a, what a testimony it is. Sydney, he serves as an international director for OMF in their East South Asia. That's, you might have to explain that for us. East Asia or Southeast Asia or what, whatever you do, that's great. He has been uh, in Singapore just a short time, but they have also served in China, in, not in an easy place in China. I'll let you share some of that if you desire. But what a blessing it is for you to be here, and thank you so much. You share God's word as he gives you liberty to do so. Thank you. A very good afternoon to you. I hope you can hear me well. Great. Well, thank you very much for the warm welcome that you've given to us. And um, as Pastor Ian was saying, we were both actually born in South Africa, although in two different parts of the country. Uh, Andrea was born in Johannesburg. I was born in Cape Town. We came to Asia in 1984 and lived for about maybe 22 years in Thailand. We had three daughters, as you've heard, and uh, one is married to a, a British guy, one is married to a German, and one is married to, now let's see, his father is Jamaican and his mother is um, a mixture of Spanish and Nigerian. Well, she's, she's about to be married to him in August. So. Our family is completely international, and uh, hopefully we, we try anyway to get together once a year where we can be together for some vacation together. We've been around the world, and um, as we have lived in Asia for probably most of our lives now, we do feel at home here. In fact, I might add that my, one of my great-grandmothers came from Malaysia. She came from Malacca, Malaysia. And we only found that out um, probably about maybe 10, 15 years ago. So that was wonderful uh, to have that kind of link as well. We are with OMF International. It used to be called the China Inland Mission. And the China Inland Mission was founded by a, name, by a man named uh, James Hudson Taylor, went to China in 1865. So just two years ago, we celebrated our 150th anniversary. And we thank God for his, his faithfulness to us as a fellowship. As we looked back, as we remembered, 
as we rejoiced and we renewed our commitment to the Lord and also to his call upon our lives. So we do thank God and praise him for that. I would like to read with us today from Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles with you, do feel free to open that uh, to Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 to 38. If you don't have a Bible with you, perhaps you would just like to close your eyes and listen as we hear the word of God being read. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Guard yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three days, uh, three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the, Lord, the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said this, 
He knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Father, we come to you this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have this privilege in this country to meet freely, to worship you, to hear your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we have met together today, that our eyes, our ears, and indeed our hearts and our minds will be open to hearing that which you want to say to us by your Holy Spirit. So we commit ourselves to you, Father. And as we, as we say that, we also want to commit to you people around the world, some who are meeting secretly, some who are meeting perhaps even with fear and trembling. We commit them to you that, Father, you would meet them at their point of need today that you would protect them and keep your hands upon them. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Famous last words. Most of us have someone we, we love and respect and someone whom we take seriously. And any final word such a person would give to us would be of great importance to us. And as I say that, my thoughts go back to my father who died, went to be with Jesus in July 2009. And I had the privilege of being with him just about two weeks before he died. He died of lung cancer. And um, two weeks before he died, I spent about two weeks with him and I'll never forget his final words to me. And he said this, you know, Sydney, we haven't seen much of each other over these last almost three decades. And I know that this will be the last time that we get to see each other this side of heaven. But where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful to the Lord, he went on, I'm so thankful to the Lord that he has called my firstborn into missions. And even though we haven't seen much of each other, you are where you need to be. You are where God has called you to be. And that has my full blessing. And I want you to know that I pray for the day, the day is left to me, I pray for you and for Andrea and for your three girls every day. And a couple of weeks later, he went to be with the Lord. Now here's Paul. And Paul has come to the end of his third missionary journey. We need to understand that this missionary journey actually took about five years. It was between the years of 53 to 58 A.D., and so Paul, as he went on this missionary journey, if you can see the map, um, what happened was he, he, he traveled through, through and he went to Ephesus where he spent the bulk of his time. 
So in Ephesus, he was a little bit over three years. It wasn't just a short trip. It was actually about three years, or more than three years, that he was in Ephesus. He went on from Ephesus to Macedonia and to Corinth, and then he was on his way back to Jerusalem, where he believed that God was calling him to go. And because he wanted to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost, he decided not to revisit Ephesus. Although he wanted to do that, and his heart was very much in that place, and he wanted to go back to Ephesus, but he knew that if he, had to, if he were to do that, he would not get to Jerusalem on time for Pentecost. And then the Lord gave him the wisdom, because he longed to see the people, the Lord gave him the wisdom to know what to do, and he invited the elders from the Ephesian church to come to Miletus, about 60 kilometers away from Ephesus, to meet him there. So he could pass on these final words of greeting, which they then could pass on to the church in Ephesus. Now, 60 kilometers today doesn't sound like a whole lot. You know, you can cover that in one hour today. Or if you're in Germany, then you can do that in 30 minutes because you're on the autobahn where there's no speed limit. But in those days, it was a journey of at least two days. And so here they were meeting together, Paul and the Ephesian elders. And as we read through this passage, we want to emphasize three significant points uh, this afternoon. The first one is this, that going in obedience includes both word and life. And Paul begins his final talk with them. He begins his final talk in this way. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. It's an amazing way to start a talk, isn't it? And yet, what an amazing testimonial. Because each of these elders knew Paul. They probably came to the Lord through Paul. At least most of them came to the Lord through Paul. And they could testify to the godly life of this man. He had been with the Ephesian church three years. He had had discussions with the disciples in a place called the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And uh, this is just one of those lecture halls. We don't know which particular one was the one of Tyrannus, but it was, it's thought that Tyrannus was probably a Greek teacher of philosophy. That's one of the theories. And normally they would use these, le these lecture halls would be used in the morning, and in the afternoon they were unused, they were free, and so it is possible that Paul and the disciples could meet in this lecture hall every afternoon where they could just share life, share together, and talk about various things. The whole point of this is that Paul actually did not just go for a short time. Paul lived among them. Paul entered into the lives of the Ephesians. He lived with them, and he lived among them. Now, I'm not in any way saying, please understand, I'm not in any way saying that short-term missions is not important. When I was a field leader some years ago, we opened up many opportunities for short-term visits. And I thank God for every single one of the people who came on short-term trips to our ministry. 
They were a blessing. They complemented our work. And God used these short-term trips to call many into full-time service. Uh, not too long ago, we were sitting together as a group of, of OMF leaders. A number of them were, were younger. And we did a quick poll and asked them, who of you here now as leaders, as full-time workers, who of you have been on a short-term trip? And practically every one of them put up their hands. I particularly um, remember one, one man. He was a pastor of a Korean-American church. I happened to be in Los Angeles that year, and I was invited to preach at the church, and I shared about the needs of a particular unreached people group. And uh, this pastor and his wife and a couple of other church members, they came out on a short-term visit to visit the people group. And after returning back home, back to Los Angeles, back to the Korean-American church, he shared this with the church. What we have experienced there is too great of a responsibility to walk away like nothing ever happened. We've seen people hurting and bleeding without anyone there to bandage their wounds. What we have experienced is too great for us to just say that it was an awesome trip. We have to do something about what we've learned. Pray the Lord of the harvest will send workers out from among our team to this unreached people group and we will pray hard for what God is doing among them as well. And the church got together and they prayed and not too long afterwards they said to this pastor, we are sending you to work amongst this people group. And they are still there today working in one of our neighboring countries and working amongst a very resistant, very unreached people group. And God is at work. I was just, we just heard them share with us in February this year, and they were sharing about how people were coming to know Jesus, and how people were coming to know, even in spite of this resistant um, uh, uh, surroundings, they were coming to know the Lord. And so we thank the God for that. Going in obedience includes both word and as well as life. We're reminded here of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was one who came and lived among us for 33 years. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Literally that Greek word to make his dwelling, literally that word means he came and he pitched his tent among our tents. It literally means that, to tabernacle or to pitch a tent. I love the way that Eugene Peterson also uh, translates this in his, trans- his version, the message version, where he says, the word became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. Just a lovely picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and of how he came to live among us. Many of our friends from other religions have difficulty understanding this. They say that we have taken a man and we have turned him into a God. When in reality what we are trying to explain to them is that God became man. God became man. A man who became a a helpless baby 
one who is susceptible to everything that we are susceptible to. Colds, flus, sniffles, the whole lot. Became hungry and thirsty just like us. But did not sin. And for our friends, the biggest stumbling block of all is that this God also was the suffering God. As we sing in that song, meekness and majesty. Manhood and deity. He is the king who was also a servant. And he is the sovereign who also suffered. Stumbling block. But when we grab hold of this king who was also a servant, we know that like him, we will die, but we will rise again. So as we look at Paul here, he says, you know how I lived among you. And he goes on to say, from the first day that I came into the province of Asia. Now we need to understand that the province of Asia in the book of Acts is not Asia as we understand it today. Asia in those days was right there and actually was the western part of what is modern day Turkey. That was the, 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 the province of Asia. But as he came into this place, as he came into Asia, the province of Asia, he lived a life of consistency from the first day to the last. Not only did he live his life among them, he lived Christ among them. Brothers and sisters, this is a real challenge to us as believers, a challenge to us as followers of Jesus. Do we live lives of consistency? Can people look at us and say, this is someone who follows Jesus? Yes, we are sinful human beings, and yes, we will make mistakes. But are we people who live out Christ among others? Furthermore, we notice that in verse 19 it says that Paul served the Lord with humility and with tears. Later in verse 31 he says, For three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. One gets that feeling that as Paul spoke with the Ephesian elders, and we see this also in in other parts of scripture, that Paul had a deep, deep love and feeling for the people to whom God had called him. The story is told of James O. Fraser. James Fraser was also a missionary with the China Inland Mission, and he was called to the Lisu people in China. And the story is told of how he was seeking to share the gospel. And one day he was standing in front of the chief of a particular tribe, uh, of the Lisu tribe. And he was, as he tried to share the gospel, all the chief did was to mock him and laugh at him and, and pour scorn upon him. And James, as he, as he looked at that, as he, as he heard all this, he did not retaliate. But somehow God just overwhelmed him with that absolute feeling of the lostness of these people. And he began to weep. He stood in front of this this, uh, chief and he began to weep. And he wept bitterly 
And as the chief saw that, God touched the chief as well. And he realized that Fraser was weeping because of his love for the Lisu people. And this moved the heart of this chief that later he then also committed his life to Christ. And that was the beginning of the revival amongst the Lisu people. Paul writes very similarly, as I mentioned earlier, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he says these words, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Gospel, but also living the life amongst the people. As Patsy was sharing with us earlier about the tuition uh, ministry, this is sharing life. This is meeting people at their point of need. And then as we meet people's needs, hearts are opened and we're able to share the reason for our faith with them. I'm reminded of one Malay man. Uh, We lived in South Thailand for a number of years and we were ministering amongst the Malays in the south part of Thailand. This was a number of years ago. And um, as we lived there, there was one man named Ying. And Ying did not quite know how to handle my wife, Andrea. And this was the first time probably that there was this white woman in the village. And he didn't quite know what to do with her. So he would walk into a room, he would greet everyone else and completely ignore her. But it was the day that he walked into our friend's home, one of our mutual friend's home, and Andrea was sitting there on the floor in the kitchen with the other women, and she had a mortar and pestle, and she was stamping spices. And when Ying saw that, that broke the ice for him. He sort of realized he's a normal person. Totally normal. She can actually stamp spices. And... He went over and he talked with her and that opened up his heart and he came to visit us at home. He was a wonderful mandolin player. As part of our bridge building, we used music. And I I, I had a group of men, Malay men, and I was learning the Malay music and teaching them some other music. And we'd meet every, every Saturday and we would play music together for three to four hours every Saturday evening. And that was a wonderful opportunity just to fellowship together and then for me also to be able to share Jesus with them. We need to live among people, as Paul did, so that we can also share the gospel with them. We see here in this particular uh, chapter that Paul did not hesitate to preach the gospel. He preached that which was helpful. He spoke the word of God publicly and privately, and he declared to both the Jews and the Greeks, and proclaimed the whole will of God. In order to do this, he had to get to know them, their deepest fears, their deepest needs, their joys, and their sorrows, so that he could share the gospel which was helpful to them. We'd like to move on. And our second point is, That going in obedience involves faith and risk and suffering. Throughout his ministry, Paul faced a lot of suffering and a lot of hardship. 
And his time in Ephesus was no different. If you look back one chapter to chapter 19, you see that Paul had a lot of opposition, especially from the Jews. They refused to believe, they maligned the way, they publicly mocked and slandered the good news of Christ. And right here now in chapter 20, in verse 22, Paul says that I know that hardships, I know that prison awaits me. And I don't know what, this going to, what it all means, I don't know all the details, but I know it's waiting for me. And again, if you read one chapter later, in chapter 21, Paul meets up with Agabus, that prophet, and Agabus takes Paul's belt and ties his hands and ties his own feet. And he says, in the same way, this man, the owner of this belt, is going to be bound. And Paul's response to that was, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul acknowledged that hardship and suffering and pain are a reality. This is true of many, many Christian and brother, brothers and sisters in the world, as well as of many missionaries. Some years ago, we were in Germany on a home assignment, and at that time, there were some Turkish brothers and brothers who had been kidnapped, and they were brutally tortured and then killed for their faith. And I was struck and I was moved by the response of the church, the response of pastors of the church at that time. And they wrote, Do not pray that the Lord will remove hardship and burdens from us. Rather, pray that the Lord will give us stronger backs to carry them. Many of our missionary colleagues live in what we call the red zone. There's danger. They're walking along, they walk a fine line all the time. It's very difficult for them even to share the good news of Jesus Christ because that in itself is dangerous. I'm reminded of a story of a colleague of mine who was driving his car along a very remote road and suddenly a group of armed men blocked the road and he had to bring his car to a halt. Then one of them walked over, opened up the front door, didn't say a word, there was no words exchanged, just looked at him, that threatening sort of look, and then out of his pocket he took a letter, and he put the letter on the dashboard of the car, and then he closed the door of the car, and he said, he just motioned him, go on. So you could just imagine how I felt, you know, as he was driving further, he was just shaking away like that. Got to a point which was reasonably safe, opened the letter, and the letter basically said this, you and your family have 24 hours to get out of this area, or else you'll all be killed. A number of our colleagues in countries where it's well, not so easy. They've been invited for tea by government officials. I'm, I'm sure you know what that means, to be invited for tea. Just recently, just, just last week, I heard of a couple, one of our colleagues again, one, a couple, uh, uh, two of our colleagues, they were invited for tea. The husband was brought in, was interrogated for a few hours. He was then released. 
The wife was called in, and she was interrogated for a few hours and then released. And then the husband was interrogated again for a few hours and released. And the wife was interrogated for a few hours and released. Can you just imagine the effect that that has upon them? So many of our workers are in the situation where they're asking these what-if questions. What if I'm called in for questioning? How will I answer? What if we lose our visa? What if we're imprisoned? What will happen to my family? What will happen to my colleagues? What if we're attacked? These are all the questions that are there. Especially for young families. I pray especially for young families. Mothers and fathers who have babies, who have young children, and they are in these kinds of situations. And I'd like to bring two brothers to you. You know these names, you know these faces. They've been in the news. But I bring them to you again for your prayers. One is Ahok. You all know the story, so I won't go into detail. Ahok, governor, or previous governor of Jakarta, accused and sentenced for blasphemy, which he did not commit. People standing up against him because he is one who is not afraid to stand up for his faith. The other one is Pastor Raymond Cole. Abducted on the 14th of February, and since then, there's been no word of Brother Raymond. Continue to pray. Continue to pray for Susanna, his wife, for his family. Hardship, suffering, and pain are a reality. But at the same time, we hold fast to the fact that God is sovereign, God is good, and God loves us. God is sovereign, God is good, and God loves us. And God is at work in and through the hardship and the suffering. If we go back to that story in chapter 19 of Acts. The Jews had opposed Paul. And then what happened was some, some of them tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. People who did not believe in Jesus but tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the Spirit overpowered them and gave them a beating and it led to many coming to faith. And there was a revival in that particular situation. So much so that people came and they brought their books or their scrolls of magic and of sorcery and they built, they, they, they built a fire and they burned these scrolls. And they say that the, the value of this was something like 50,000 drachmas. And one drachma was one day's wages. So translate that in today's terms in Singapore, you're looking at at least $1.5 million dollars. God brought revival, but it came through suffering. Back in 1890-99, there was the Boxer Revolution, or Boxer Rebellion in China, and the China Inland Mission lost 58 adults and 21 children. And afterwards, when everything settled down, 
and things return back to normal. The Chinese government at that time came to China Inland Mission and said, we want to pay a compensation for the lives which were lost. And our gen then general director, whose name was Dixon Edward Host, politely refused the, um, the compensation and said, we forgive those who did this against us. And this caused the governor of the province to write this letter. And he said, I, the governor, find that the chief work of the Christian religion in all, is in all places to exhort men to live virtuously. Mr. Host of the China Inland Mission is able to carry out his principles to the full. This mode of action deserves the fullest approval. I charge you all, gentry, scholars, army, and people, those of you who are fathers to exhort your sons, and those who are elder sons to exhort your younger brothers, to bear in mind the example of Pastor Host, who is able to forbear and forgive as taught by Jesus to do so. This was a man who did not know Jesus Christ. And God worked in many, many ways in China, as we are all aware. The Lord Jesus gave us a promise. And that promise is in Matthew chapter 28, where he says to us, when you go and make disciples, when you teach, when you suffer, and when you have hardship in doing all these things I've commanded you, remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'd like to just share this also with us, even here in Singapore. Perhaps you are experiencing hardship of some kind because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Perhaps there are fa family members who are unhappy because you have become a Christian. Perhaps there are friends who have rejected you because of your faith in our Lord Jesus. Know that our Lord is with you. Know that you are not alone. Know that he will use the hardship that you are going through to bless others as well. Hardship is a, a reality. Suffering is a reality. But our God is sovereign. And he is good. And he loves us. Lastly, as we go in obedience, we realize that this embraces shepherding and discipleship. In Matthew chapter 28, there's a very deliberate word, a use of the word disciple. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. Not go and make converts, but go and make disciples. I was in the church two weeks ago in, in Denver, in the USA, and as a vision statement, they actually have go and make disciple makers. It's a very interesting way of looking at it. Go and make disciple makers. That's very much part of being a disciple, is to go and make other disciples as well. And in our fast-paced world, in our digital world today, where everything happens so rapidly, and everything happens in split seconds, we just don't seem to have the time to spend, to make disciples, to spend time with each other. But again, brothers and sisters, trust and relationship, this takes time to build up. It doesn't happen in split seconds. 
And we can only share on this deeper level with each other when we really get to know each other and when we can trust each other. Discipleship takes time. Singapore as well as on the mission field. Paul is um, saying to us here in this passage, and he says in verse 28, guard yourselves and all the flock. He starts it by saying, guard yourselves. Each one of us has that responsibility before our Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of us is to build up our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, he goes on to say, guard the flock. Christian leaders in East Malaysia are very concerned at the present time about their young people. There are all kinds of incentives which are, which are coming. There's offers of large gifts of money, high education, and good jobs if only they will convert to the majority religion. And so Christian leaders have come and have said, we need help. We need help to know how to disciple. We need help to know how to teach our young people about their faith. But we also need help to disciple them to the point where they can reach out with the gospel to others. It's not just important for us to protect our faith. It's also important for us to share our faith. And I had the privilege of being at a youth conference last year where all three things were happening. There was discipleship being uh, taking place. There was apologetics taking place. Teaching people about their faith and how to give answers for their faith. But furthermore, we're also helping them to know how to share their faith with others who do not know them. Being shepherds who guard the flock. Let's pray also for people in surrounding countries where things are not so easy. Not too far away from where we are. But let's pray that the Lord will raise up many leaders, especially amongst these young people. Then finally, Paul also says, besides guarding the flock, he says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. And as Paul says that, this is practically the final thing he says to them. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Basically what Paul is saying, the strength that we have comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We, are, we seek to be faithful, we seek to be obedient, but we trust in the Lord because he is the one who strengthens us. He is the one who gives to us that which we need day by day in our walk with him. So as we look back over this, this passage, and as we look at these lessons that we've learned, that we going in obedience means that we are involved both with our lives as well as with our words, that this involves faith and risk, and suffering, and that it also involves discipleship. Let us just consider for a moment the words of James, where he says, Consider it 
pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. And also the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He met with his disciples in the upper room just before his death. And this is what he says to them. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. And joy is not something that happens when, only when things are going well. Joy is something that we can experience even when the circumstances are not great. This is at that time that we know that our Lord Jesus is very, very close to us. So that's my prayer for us all, that as we go from here, despite what our circumstances may be, that we will experience this joy, and that the joy of Jesus may be with us as we walk in him and with him day by day. And knowing that he walks alongside us in the journey, we do not walk alone, but that our Lord Jesus Christ walks with us. I am with you always even to the very end of the age. Amen. Please stand for the song of response. an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost you called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress for your streams of forgiveness and the shade of your Oh, 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 oh,
Thank you so much, Pastor Sidney, for sharing God's word to us today. In a moment, Georgina, would you take Sidney and Andrea down to the back while I pray so that they can greet our folks as they leave. And don't forget, immediately, not immediately, like 20 minutes later, we're going to be downstairs, hear more about the ministry of OMF and also our own missionaries about their ministry in Indonesia. This um, is a photo of our missions team that is in Poir right now being the embrace of Christ to minority people, students, who have no opportunity outside of this ministry to be educated and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know Sherry was impacted by uh, the trip that she went on, especially when one of the young ladies, one of the... uh, I'm not sure what tribe she was, came to Sherry and in her best English said, tell me how you heard God's story. Uh, We also have another group of 10 getting ready to go to Cambodia. Let's be faithful to remember those in our midst who are extending the grace of God and the ministries of this church. Every other month there's another team, it seems, that's going out. Bless you for having a missions heart. One last announcement. If God has stirred you up to give a little bit of your time, maybe one hour every other week or one hour a week, to love on our own Singaporean unreached people groups, I'm calling the people of the heartland, then there's going to be a sign-up table for our tuition ministry downstairs. I hope you'll just give them your name. You don't even have to commit but just get your name on the list so that they dare advertise that we are going to be a church that's open to our neighbors. Let's pray together. Father God, I felt convicted as my brother Sidney preached that all of us here, we are all going to die for something. Some are going to die because they have cancer. Some are going to die because they have heart disease. We had 29 brothers and sisters in Egypt that died because they had you. I pray that you would stir us up to live even in this place as if we have you. Let it be obvious. You be obvious in us. And for our mission team that's in Paul right now, thank you that you are letting the sweet aroma of your son Jesus be very obvious in this team. And that boys and girls, now many men and women have heard about the grace of Jesus Christ because of that ministry. We pray for the team that's preparing their hearts to go to Cambodia. We pray for the medical team, the evangelistic team, for the tuition team, that each of them would just be full and saturated with you, so much so that you would be obvious. Not the medicine, not the dental work, not the teaching, but you be obvious in them, I pray. And for those of us whose mission field will begin as soon as we leave these doors, God, stir us up to love and good work. Let us be ever ready to share good news with anyone who would ask what it is about us that is so different. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without even one flaw before his glorious presence with great joy to the only begotten of the Father, be honor and glory and authority in this place, in this day, and forevermore. Amen. After a few moments of silence, you are dismissed to change your world.